Hi everyone and welcome to Heroes and Howlers and the Rest is History. I'm Mikey Robbins. I'm a bit of a history nerd, but my mate Paul Wilson... Hi, everybody. Paul's a proper historian, all the way from Oxford. Thanks, Mikey. Okay, folks, so here's the show. It's about the unsung heroes, the bizarre twists of fate, those weird bits of history that have surreptitiously changed the course of mankind. Yeah, actually, mate, it's also about the (laughs) cock-ups. Those howlers, the moments of madness, they're sometimes tragic, sometimes comical, that have made the world what it is today. Hi, everyone. And in this episode, we're going to be talking about assassinations. That's right, Mikey, because we got a great tweet during the week, um, and it did point out just how how easily assassinations lend themselves to cock-ups. Yes, indeed. But today we're going to do, well, probably the big one in modern Western history. The big howler. Yes, the assassinations of Abraham Lincoln. Ah, Abraham Lincoln. Okay, so we're talking... Well, howler. We can't talk about... John Wilkes Booth, because he, he succeeded. He got to be a well, howler, was he? No, mate, we're going to be talking about a guy called John Parker. John Parker. No, okay. Who's John Parker? Well, mate, he was the bodyguard. Ah. And this is not Whitney Kevin Costner happy ending bodyguard story. <laughs> All right, okay. So we're talking assassinations uh, and we're talking bodyguards. All right, well, look, I think it's important to point out at the very beginning, Mikey, you know, <laughs> When it comes to assassinations, US and US presidents, it's not just a habit, is it? It's more, it's more of a national sport. It's, it's a national sport, mate. <laughs> uh, okay, we've got Lincoln in 1865, but there were four other attempts. We'll get to them later. Right. And then you've got James Garfield. Was that 1881? Yep. And we've got McKinley in 1901. Yep. And the thing about McKinley's assassination, mm-hmm. and now listen to this. Go on. It's after that assassination that the Secret Service take over the job of looking after the president. All right, folks, remember that. And then, of course, we've got the other big one, JFK in 63. So that's four presidents dead. Gonski. Then we can add to that two more presidents who were seriously wounded. Mm. Teddy Roosevelt, who was campaigning in 1912, he'd been president before. Right. He, uh, he, gets shot. he actually gets shot. Oh, he gets shot, but he, he doesn't die, does he? Because doesn't he have a, a, a lucky escape? Is yeah, this... mate. Well, the thing that saves him is the fact he was so long-winded. Mm-hmm. He was going to give a speech that night. He had a 50-page <laughs> campaign speech. Yeah. And he had it tucked into his breast oh, pocket. Oh, his breast pocket. And it was, right. it was folded over. And so... that stopped the bullet. Although he... Well, it, it, did, <laughs> it did bleed a little bit. It did. But it got through, but it didn't kill him. And he still... Didn't he still give the speech? He gave an 84-minute <laughs> speech before he finally realised he should go to hospital. And, of course, during our lifetime, uh, Ronald Reagan in oh, 81. Yes, of course. The fam- Honey, I forgot to duck. <laughs> You've got to give it to the old gipper. I'm saying that when he comes out of uh, surgery. And then, of course, you've got lots of attempts that didn't succeed at all, but, you know, attempts nonetheless. I think, what was it? Was it Jackson? In the- uh, Jackson, 1835. Mm-hmm. A, a trader called Richard Lawrence uh, took two yeah, shots. Wasn't he painting his house or something? Yeah, well, he took two shots at Jackson and missed, unfortunately. <laughs> right. Uh, Jackson beat the guy almost half to death with his cane. Right, okay. Um, I know there's, there was Taft in 09 and there's Hoover, wasn't it, in 1928? Yeah. Um, FDR, yep. 17 days before inauguration, is in uh, Miami. Before he becomes... Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And... Uh, there are shots taken in his car. Yeah. And the uh, Chicago mayor, Anton Cermak, is killed. Right. Now, there is a theory that it could have actually been a hit from the mob on ah, the mayor. on the Chicago But, mayor. you know, it's one of those ones where mm. no one's really quite sure. All right. And uh, Truman, uh, how, we were talking about Harry Truman before, mm. weren't we? And uh, I think he had some letter bombs from the Zionists, and it was at 47. And then in fi- 1950, Puerto Rico, the, the, the pro-independence party. Yeah, two of those guys. I like yeah. that one, because then they, they actually attacked him in the Blair House because the White House was being renovated at the time, and they ended up killing a policeman instead of him. 
Also, too, here's one people mightn't have heard about. Mm. Before he becomes president, before inauguration, in 1960, a guy called Richard Pavlik mm. wants to do away with JFK, John F. Kennedy, because he's a... He's, oh, three years before he's actually assassinated. Yeah, yeah, because this guy Pavlik is a rabid anti-Catholic. Does not want to see a Catholic become president. Right. So he fills his Buick up with dynamite. Dynamite? He, he says he's going to ram Kennedy's car as a car bomb. But, in a Buick? <laughs> in a Buick, mate. Yeah, in a Buick. But the thing is, when he pulls into the street, because yeah, Kennedy's not in the White House yet, mm. he sees JFK kissing Jackie and the kids goodbye, right. and he has a change of heart. Oh. Yeah, but then you would think once you've had the change of heart, you go straight back home and take all the dynamite out of the Buick. Oh, you... He doesn't blow himself up. No, mate. Three days later, he gets pulled over for a traffic violation. Yeah. And they say, what's all this dynamite doing in your car? <laughs> oh, dear. And he ends up getting 30 years for it. All right. So we're now oh, we're into the modern times, aren't we? Um, well, President Ford, uh, I know they, he had a couple, didn't he? It wasn't this, was this squeaky from yeah. where, the piece, where the pistols jammed in 75? She was one of the Manson girls. Oh, Manson right. followers. That's right. Nixon had three against him. Uh, 72, the Mujahid Dean tried to kill him. Right. Another guy called Arthur Bremer. Mm. was going to shoot him, right. but then he chickened out. But he then goes on and shoots uh, Governor George Wallace. Oh, dear. Only, only a few weeks later. And another guy called Samuel Bick, whose name has been forgotten in history, Right. he decides he's going to kill Nixon by crashing a plane into the White House. Oh, wow. In fact, he... Oh, hi- hang on, I've heard, I've heard that. Oh, yeah, I know, I know. History repeats it. Yeah. almost repeats itself. He decides he's going to hijack a DC-9. Yeah. In fact, gets one on the ground at Baltimore-Washington Airport. Right. Gets as far as the cockpit, shoots a pilot. Right. And then he gets shot himself Ooh. through the cockpit window yeah. by security yeah. and takes himself out with his own gun. Oh, dear. All right. Okay. And then, yeah, we mentioned one Ford. Um, there was another Ford, wasn't there? Sarah Jane Moore. Is that right? And then the uh, Carter. He, he had a couple, didn't he, Carter? And yeah. wasn't one of them... John Hinckley Jr. Yeah, who later shot Reagan. Later shot Reagan. He was going to yes. kill Carter first. But this is the bit I can't believe, Mikey. Who are the two presidents who don't get shot? Well, they both shot, believe the same, it? They both shot at or, or even an attempt. Not even one attempted assassination at George W. or his dad, G.H.W. Bush. Uh, yeah, I couldn't believe that. that not well, well, there was that grenade attack in Tbilisi, but not one assassination, whereas Clinton, he had five. Uh, Obama, there were four credited attacks. And uh, all homegrown. Okay, but today, guys, we're looking at Lincoln because Lincoln, as we said, gets assassinated in 1865. But as Mikey uh, hinted at earlier on, it's not the first time someone tried to take him out. There are four <laughs> credible accounts on attempts to kill the president. You're almost losing count when you're talking about Lincoln. Is yeah. that right, mate? Well, well, it goes back to when he was before president. In fact, on his way to inauguration, mm. the Baltimore plot of 1861. Okay, and that, folks, just to give you an idea here, so the Civil War is 1861 to 65. So this is happening just before the Civil War yeah. breaks out. But, 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 but And just before Lincoln... Gets inaugurated. Yeah, but but Link, yeah, Lincoln's been elected, so you know, a he's lot been of, elected. So a lot of these secessionist states are very, very anti-Lincoln. Yeah. Now he's getting the train mm. to Washington. Right. Now railroad magnate Samuel Morse Felton mm. owns the train line. Right. He's heard a rumor mm. that there's going to be trouble. Right. And of course, there was no Secret Service. I'll get to that later. There was actually no bodyguard. There weren't. It wasn't even a military escort. Because Mikey's mentioned before 1901 with McKinley, um, but. Back in 1861, Mikey, you're saying there's absolutely no military escort at all for the president. In fact, no one you know, looking after it. So what Felton does, the guy who runs the railroad, mm. he gets in touch, and you've heard this name before, he gets in touch with Alan Pinkerton. Ah, the, the Pink- detective entity, yeah. yeah. Pinkertons, yes. So he sends Pinkerton out to find out what's going on. Right. 
he goes to Baltimore. Now, Baltimore's from Maryland. Um, now, it, Maryland's interesting yeah. this time, Mikey, because it's part of the Union, but, but it's one of those three or four states above the line that do have slaves. So it's a real bit of a powder keg, isn't it? it exactly. And Baltimore. Which means that there's a lot of very strong anti-Lincoln feeling in yeah. Baltimore. Even though there's a lot of pro-Lincoln, yeah, exactly. but it's a real 50-50 match. Pinkerton finds out that there's no plan to derail the train, which was obviously Felton's nightmare. Yeah, yeah. Now instead, there's a there's a Baltimore barber called Ferrandi. Ferrandi, who's who's planning to shoot the president when he goes to Baltimore. Ah, right. So they change the schedule. Right. They don't stop in Baltimore, and in fact, Lincoln arrives in Washington disguised. Oh, right. Okay. <laughs> now a, a lot of anti-Lincoln newspapers have. Cartoons have him drawn. Oh, yeah, those sneaking, cartoons. Jesse the woman, is it? Yeah, and, and like, and in fact, the whole disguise thing is still up for contention. But my favorite bit, and this is true, is that when Lincoln finally arrives safe in Washington, yeah. and Pickerton sends Felton this coded telegram Plums delivered nuts safely. Okay, folks, so today we're looking at assassinations, U.S. presidents, uh, and the big one, Abraham Lincoln, of course. And in many ways, Mike, he's lucky he even made it to 1865 and the end of the Civil War. Which brings me to the most ridiculous attempt to kill Abe Lincoln. Oh. This is the second one. It's in the middle mm. of the Civil War, and it's an early attempt at biological warfare. Right. And it was carried out by a medical professional right. and a confederate mm. and a nut job, a guy called Dr. <laughs> Luke Pryor Blackburn. Okay. Now... What Black- was his plan? Well, <laughs> it's bizarre. It was to do with yellow fever. Right. Now, Blackburn was convinced that yellow fever could be spread by infected clothes, which it can't be, by the way. It can only be spread by mosquitoes. Right. But Blackburn didn't know that back in the 1860s. He thought he could get it by touching clothes. Okay. Yeah, so what he would do was he would actually collect clothes that had been on patients that had died of yellow fever. Right. And he started distributing them around where there were Union soldiers' bases. Ooh, the depots, right. Yeah, okay. the, the, the idea was that they would get sick with yellow so fever. So they'd start wearing them and then they'd... Yeah. But of course, once Didn't again, work. no mosquitoes. <laughs> right, no mosquitoes, no, th- no yellow fever. He then comes up with a brilliant theory to get some infected, elegant shirts, mm. infected in his mind, Yeah, and have his assistant, a guy called Himes, take them to the White House right. as a gift for Lincoln. The idea being that Lincoln will say, oh, thanks for the shirts. I'll wear those and I'll get yellow fever. Yeah, once again, no mosquitoes <laughs> Even involved. Even no mosquitoes still. All right. Well, Himes refuses to do this, as I said, uh, but, but actually the good doctor is indicted. Right, word gets out. Yeah. Charges are dropped because basically it seems just too ridiculous. Too stupid. And strange enough, Dr. Luke Pryor Blackburn ends up the governor of Kentucky. So he he tries to assassinate the president. He he tries to give the president yellow fever, and they say, oh, well, uh, in that case, you better make you give it to Kentucky. Now, here's an important one, though. In 1864, this is nine months before the famous night at Ford's Theatre. Right. Lincoln's out riding. He's riding to the old soldiers' home. Now, you have to remember, too, it's just just outside of Washington, That it was still no bodyguard. No right? bodyguard, and it was not uncommon for Lincoln to ride or walk around Washington completely unaccompanied. Mm. So he's riding out to the old soldier's home. This is yeah. 1864. Yeah. A shot rings out, mm. his horse rears up, and he loses his famous hat. Ah, the big tall hat, yeah. Yeah, you know why he had that hat? Uh, to, we can't wait to make him look taller because he was already quite tall, wasn't he? Yeah, no, well, yeah, he thought it looked good, but also, too, and this is from the Smithsonian Institute. Yeah. He used to use the space between the top of his head and the top of the hat mm. to store documents. 
important documents. No way. If you get a big address, I'll stick it in my hat. Exactly. <laughs> I'm not saying it's where the phrase Cuban under your hat comes from. But, right. but ah, right. Anyway, the next day, two soldiers from the old soldier's home yeah. retrace the path mm. that Lincoln has, has ridden on to find his famous hat. Find the hat, yeah. And they do. And they find it with a musket ball hole through the side. Wow. Now, this is pretty much where Mary Todd Lincoln, his wife, and everyone says, we need some bodyguards. Yes, maybe it's time for Mr. Costner. That- yeah, exactly. But they don't get Mr. Costner. But, but even before we get to that, there's one last attempt. Oh, go on. This is the week before the night at Ford's Theatre. Okay, the week before he actually gets assassinated. All right, okay. Yeah. There's a plot to blow up the White House. An explosives expert, Sergeant Thomas Haney. Now, he's a member of the Confederate Torpedo Bureau. Right. He's on a secret mission to put explosives under the dining room of the White House. Dining room of the White House. And it's just by sheer luck he's caught by an Illinois cavalry unit and arrested. Oh, right. oh before he can get there. Yeah. Right. But I've, I've said it before, right about this time... <sighs> Yeah, he's, you're exhausted, aren't yeah, you? Yeah, it is. He, he, this poor guy. I'm feeling sorry for Abe now. Yeah, he's getting shot at and uh, blown up every every which way he turns. So, but, uh, but after, he's made it. He's, he's, he's made it. still going. And after the incident in 1864, the cabinet and his wife have convinced him to get bodyguards. He gets three crack bodyguards, and the guy I want to talk about, John Parker. Ah, John Parker. You mentioned at the beginning, right? Okay, so he is now officially Abe Lincoln's one of Abe Lincoln's bodyguards. Parker starts life as a carpenter. Then he joins the Washington D.C. Met Police Force. Yep. in about sixty-one, and then he does not distinguish himself. Over the next few years, he's constantly in front of the police board for drunkenness, mm. foul language. Right. Yeah. He gets uh, up on cha- well, not on charges, but he gets accused of being caught in a brothel. Oh dear. But he claims that the madam of the brothel had actually requested him to be there. But he doesn't right. say what for. Okay. And this is my favourite. Mm. He also gets busted for being asleep on duty, but not just asleep on duty. He's asleep right. on one of those horse-drawn streetcars. Yeah, yeah, yeah. His excuse was he was out on his beat. Mm. Now, bear with me on this one. Okay. He's saying this to the police board. He's out on his beat. <laughs> Wasn't he, me, Gov. No. And he heard the sound of ducks quacking from on board a near streetcar. So he jumped on the car to <laughs> fall asleep. Yeah, yeah to, to find these wandering ducks and then fell asleep. Perfect presidential bodyguard material. Yeah. Not exactly. <laughs> and probably the worst guy to have been on duty on April 15th, 1865. Right. Ten days after the end of the Civil War. Yeah, so the Civil War's finished now, isn't it, my yeah. dear? Right. And the day that Lincoln gets assassinated. Yeah. Now, it was a good it's Friday. Supposed to, it's supposed to be a victory, wasn't it? It's supposed right. to be a celebration. Yeah. Well, also, too, it was a good Friday. Right. Which meant that Lincoln had somewhat of a lighter day than normal. Right. He had breakfast with the family. He had yep. a cabinet meeting. And remember how I mentioned the Secret Service before? Yeah. Well, on this day, mm. on the day that he is assassinated, mm. Lincoln signs into being the body that would become the Secret Service. But not in time to save him because... That night, it's off to Ford's Theatre. Yes, now, that's his favourite theatre. Yes. It? See, not many people know this, but Lincoln quite often frequented uh, Ford's Theatre. Mm. In fact, I think he went there eight times during mm. the Civil War. In fact, in 1863... He- actually sees his own assassin, John Wilkes Booth, perform there in a play called The Marble Heart. Ah, so this is John Wilkes Booth. He's about to assassinate yeah. folks. Um, he's actually seen him because he was an actor, uh, which Mike will come to later, but he's seen him perform on stage. Yeah, but this night he's off to see our American cousin. Now, now that's American cousin is what you were mentioning in the other episode with Laura Keane. She is performing Our American Cousin at Ford's Theatre that night. That night when Abe arrives with his wife. So this is going to be a good night for everyone. Yeah. 
Parker, though, is true to form. Oh, okay. He turns up three hours late for his shift. He's supposed to be there at four. He gets there at seven. Yep. But it's okay because the presidential party is not due at the theatre till nine. In fact, right. after the play started, okay. they arrive, they play Hail to the Chief. Yeah. Lincoln's take their seat in the box, in, in the dress circle, mm-hmm. you know, with the flag on it, yep. you're sitting in the pictures, looking down on the theatre. John Parker is put out into the corridor on a chair just next to the right. door to so go. He's the bodyguard. Yeah. yeah. Now, I think I mentioned before that uh, our American cousin, is, apparently for the time, was a very funny comedy. Right. Parker's sitting out in the corridor, mm. he hears the audience laughing. So he thinks, I want to see this. He right. sneaks off from his post oh. downstairs to the gallery to get a better right. view of the play. Now, everyone, so he's not in... No he's, no, he's left his post to watch the play. It gets even worse, mate. At intermission, yeah. he thinks, what the hell? I'll sneak next door to the Star Saloon <laughs> to have a few drinks. Have a snifter. Now, the weird thing is that... Also drinking that night at the Star Saloon was mm-hmm. John Wilkes Booth. The, the assassin. The assassin. Right. He'd gone in for a few shots of uh, Dutch courage. A bit of Dutch courage, yes. Now, the story goes that Booth arrives backstage at 10 p.m. Okay, folks, so you got Booth, who's going to be the assassin. He's back inside the theatre. And Parker, the bodyguard, is now next door in the pub. In fact, if you draw a timeline, it's not inconceivable that they might have actually passed each other. Right. Now, Booth being backstage did not cause any problems. Well, you, you said before he, he's a, quite a famous actor, isn't oh, well, he? In fact, it's not just him as a famous actor. Mm. He comes from a famous acting family. He, mm. His brothers. In fact, I'll put it like this. The Booths were like the Baldwin family right. of their day. Okay. So the idea of seeing him hanging around a the theatre does not draw any suspicion. Right. In fact, and this really can't be verified, but it looks like he actually got an usher mm. to show him up to the presidential box. Right. But you've got to remember that when he gets there... Parker's not there. No. The only thing that guarding it is an empty chair. Right. Now, Booth knows the play, our American cousin, very well. Yes. And the story goes that he waits until a particularly loud laugh line. There's a line in the play, the whole theatre laughs. And claps. Audience laughs. That's when he leans forward and shoots Abraham Lincoln in the back of the head. And this time he doesn't miss. No one time, misses. No one misses. And he jumps on stage. He jumps on stage, shouts, Six Semper Tyrannus, which of course yeah, means tyrants will always get their commitments the same as Brutus and Cassius said when they stabbed Julius Caesar. Don't forget, he also manages to break his leg when he lands on stage. <laughs> That's right, and the rest and the rest is history. Okay, folks, so we're talking assassination of Abraham Lincoln, 1865. We're talking about the howler that was not the assassin, but the bodyguard, John Parker. Now, Mikey, would you say if he'd been... In position, if he'd been there, would he been able to stop him anyway? Well, you know, that's a hypothetical. Yeah. And you know, that, who knows? But I believe so. And i tell you who really believes so. Mm. William Crook, who was another member of the bodyguard detachment, he's quoted as saying as, had he done his duty, I believe President Lincoln would be alive today. Parker knew he had failed his duty. He looked like a convicted criminal the next day. Right. And I was going to say, Mary Todd never forgives him, does he? In fact, Parker turns up to be part of the funeral detachment and she sends him away. Oh, oh, yeah. Okay. And then, but then, 
Wasn't it weird that he was actually he was charged for you know, misconduct or de- dereliction? Of Charges duty, were dropped, but then they were dropped. Yeah, and Ch- he wasn't in the official report. No, it? it it sort of looks like um, it's not so much a cover up, or you could say he was just whitewashed. Yeah, it was just too embarrassing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And what and what happened to Parker? In the end? Well, he goes back to the police force, and this is not going to surprise you. He actually um he gets fired in 1868 for being asleep on duty. And the other weird thing about Parker too, not saying it's yeah. a conspiracy. For a person of his age and in, in where he was living, there is not one known photograph of him. Ah, okay. Okay, folks, there we go. Uh, Abraham Lincoln assassinated in 1865. I think what I find quite interesting, Mikey, is what's this, all this new sort of revisionist history that's being written about the period. Because, you know, traditionally, after George Washington, Abe Lincoln's probably the number one president um, for most Americans, isn't he? But, yeah. but you've got people like Leon uh, Bennett Jr. You know, he, he, well, his book in the 60s, it Forced Into Glory. Uh, and there's quite a few other people who have written on the back of that. And they say that Lincoln wasn't the great emancipator. You know, it's much more the, the black abolitionists, the white abolitionists, people like Frederick Douglass. Um, some people have even gone as far as saying that Lincoln himself was almost a white supremacist, you know, um, because there's this idea that there was a plan that he would send the black Americans back to Africa rather than integrate them into into US society. Now, I don't know if I necessarily buy that. Um, I think, you know, just because the Emancipation Proclamation itself didn't free slaves, it certainly did bring an end to slavery. Look, look, I I think Lincoln's legacy is, is complex. Yeah. But, you know, he was, I think, a great man. And also, too, if you're comparing him to Frederick Douglass Mm. and you're looking at Frederick Douglass, a man himself who was a freed slave, that's a mark that virtually everyone's going to fall short of. Sure. Look, I get it. Lincoln is complex, but the person I think that we should really compare him to is his successor, Andrew Uh, Johnson. Johnson, Now, Now, the thing about Johnson was, for a start, he's from Tennessee. Right. And he's a Democrat. He was... Only the running mate as part of a, a unity ticket. Yes, yeah. Now, Lincoln... He, he was a bit of a dud, really, wasn't he? A bit he? of a... Well, yeah, in fact, massive dud. Now, Lincoln never really laid out a clear reconstruction plan. Right. He may have given one speech about it, but there was no clear plan. Right. Having said that, you've got to admit, no matter what failings he may have had, he mm. was a brilliant politician. Mm-hmm. And also, too, he had a much stronger moral compass than Johnson. Right. So during those... Yeah, because during Johnson's time, that's it, a lot of problems rear their heads almost immediately. Yeah, 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 yeah. Johnson gets impeached himself. That's right, yeah. And they, they talk about the North, this sort of reconstruction fatigue. And then, of course, in the South, you know, you've got... Well, 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 you've got the rise of the KKK. Well, 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 exactly. If you look at the immediate post-Civil War history of the South, mm-hmm. and particularly the fact that Johnson did nothing really against this... you. The South starts rewriting history virtually almost immediately. Mm. You get the whole lost cause. Mm. You get the black codes, the black laws, which become the hateful the, the Jim, Jim Crow laws. Yeah, And yep. you get the rise of the Klan, the Ku Klux Klan, mm. which Grant tries to deal with. And in fact, quite frankly, America is still trying to deal with to this day. Well, I think that's the point, Mike, because I think, you know, it's not really for us to say no. um, whether Lincoln is a great man or not. You know, there were still massive problems um, that were left beyond the Civil War, oh, of course. You, know, you couldn't just cure it with, with one proclamation. No, but I think one thing we can agree on, if you're going to have someone looking after the head of the state, John Parker was not the guy. <laughs> That's right. All right, folks, so any questions about Lincoln, Civil War, um, any questions about Whitney Houston, uh, Kevin Costner, bodyguards, drop us a line on all your social media using the handle at and the rest is hist. And the rest is hist. And you can find all that stuff in the show notes. 
Okay, and if you like the podcast, don't forget to like, subscribe, and comment, you know, whichever platforms you usually use. Now, Paulie, next week, I can see you already packing your bags. Where are we off to? That's right, mate. It's Wanderlust time again, and this time it's Vikings. Ah, the old extreme Scandinavian cruise. Yeah, complimentary battle axe on arrival. Mm-hmm.